So let's pray and uh, we'll get into the word. Father, we do thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to open up your word to read, Lord, historically some of the, some of the difficulties, some of the hurdles that your people had to go through and jump over to get to the Lord where they needed to get. And, and God, listen, here's what I know. They were just living life, just like us, doing life. And I'm glad that we have these things recorded so that we can see, so that we can have an understanding of, of how to walk with you, of how to trust you in difficult circumstances, how to trust you in different circumstances. Lord, how to, how to walk with you no matter what's going on, no matter, no matter what the world around us is doing or swirling or whatever, that Lord, from reading your word, we have an understanding of what our relationship should look like and how we should interact with you. So I do pray, God, I pray that you bless this time. I pray that, God, you encourage us and strengthen us. And God, we could leave here tonight stronger than when we came in. I know we're at home, but, but that attitude, Lord. So bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. So again, if you're just now joining in and tuning in, Numbers chapter 7. So we're kind of getting towards the end of, uh, not Numbers, Nehemiah, Nehemiah 7. So uh, kind of getting towards the end. Nehemiah's built, built the wall or built the wall. He's pretty much finished up. And now listen, we're going to see him continue to do ministry. And I like that. We're going to watch him appoint some people. Uh, we're going to go through a genealogy list. Ha. Huh. We're going to look at it and, and kind of go through it rather uh, rapidly. I am not going to try and say all of those names. I can't say most of the names that are there. So uh, if, if they got that many, that would be too hard. And you can read that on your own. I'll kind of give you an outline of it as we go through it. So here's what's important to me is we're going to see when they finally get together and this is, is my heart. When they finally get together, they open up God's word and they give understanding to the people of God's word. That's what it's all about. And I love that. So, hey, let's jump in here in, in chapter seven, verse one. If you remember that uh, uh, they were trying to come against Tobiah and Sanballat are trying to come against, all of that failed. And then in verse one of chapter seven, it says, then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors. Remember in chapter six, when we started out, he hadn't hung the doors yet. Now he's got the doors on. And hey, that had to be exciting. And he says, hey, when we hung the doors, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Listen carefully, man. He starts now giving out uh, 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 service to the people. Nehemiah didn't keep everything for himself. He appoints the, the singers, the gatekeepers. He even appoints men in charge. Listen, he didn't come there to take over. He came there because God gave him a vision. God gave him a vision of what to do. He came, he accomplished that, and now he's saying, hey, you guys, you guys, Hananiah and Hananiah, it's kind of interesting their names are so close together. You guys take over. You guys run this city, and here's what I love. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I haven't read a whole bunch about Hananiah. He's not like a big Bible hero. He's not all over the place, but notice what's said about him. Listen to what's said. 
Hananiah was a faithful man and he feared God. The way I interpret that, here was a man of integrity who loved the Lord. I like that. Wouldn't that be good to be said about us? Wouldn't it be good as, you know, sometimes I think about, although I, I'm not sure I'm gonna have one, but I think about a headstone and what I would want on it. And, and uh, you know, and I'm not a person who is kind of drawn to those things. I know some people like to go read them. Some people like to go visit, you know, loved ones, uh, places and stuff. I'm not all into that, but I just think, man, wouldn't it be good just to be remembered as a person who loved God and a person who had integrity? That's said about you. Man, that's enough, right? So you have him set up, and then he tells them in verse 3, And I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot, and while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors, and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, uh, uh, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. So here's what he's saying. Open the gates late, shut them early. He's not going to have this city wide open. Sound familiar? Maybe they had a little COVID-19 going on and, and so they're locking everybody in. But listen, he's still trying to protect things because they still had enemies. And he's taking, he's taking caution at that. So it's interesting. And then he says, hey, make sure people are standing guard. And then here's what he knows. You're more than likely to guard your own stuff than other stuff. So have people guard near their house and have them guard their houses. And I think we should take heed to that. We should be guarding our houses, not so much of this whole, uh, you know, this uh, lockdown we have or whatever we're calling it, stay-at-home order. Doesn't that sound so much nicer? But listen, saints, we should take care of our stuff. And we generally do. But here's the greater thing. We should take care of our own houses and by that I mean spiritually we have a responsibility to do that. So Nehemiah lays that out. And then in verse 4, he's kind of getting ready for this long genealogy list. In verse 4 he says, Now the city was large and spacious, but the, and, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up uh, in the first return and found written in it, these are the people of the provinces who came back from captivity of those who had been carried away from, carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, this is a different Nehemiah, and now he gets into that long list. And he's gonna give us a list. Now, we've looked at this list another time when we read Ezra. So, we need to know something. Number one, I know that I skip over that stuff and some of you go, I thought Calvary Chapel's taught verse by verse and taught every verse and why aren't you doing that? because it's hard to pronounce those names, that's why. And you listen, for most of us, for most of us, it doesn't mean a whole bunch. But think about the families that are named, it meant a whole bunch to them. And they were recognized as coming back. So when I look at these, and although they're hard and difficult for us, I look at them this way. God is personally involved in people's lives. 
God knows their names. He writes their names down and it gets recorded and genealogies in some cultures are extremely important and they want to write them down. And so, so I get that. In America, our Western civilization, our society, not so much. And so I'm not going to go over every name. I will kind of give you an outline from verse 6 to verse 25 are families that are listed. And then in verse 26 through 38, villagers are listed. 39 through 42, the priests are listed. See, we're going through these names pretty fast, aren't we? And then, and then in verse 43, the Levites are listed. And then 44 through 60, the temple staff is listed. And then here's the interesting thing. In 61 through 65 are those without evidence of their genealogies. Remember, some didn't have evidence. And so they kind of, they kind of push those guys aside. Well, you don't know really where you're from, so we're not going to let you do anything. You can't serve here. You can't serve there. Especially as a Levite, if you can't prove that, you can't do that. So there's those guys. And then 66 through 69 give us a total. Now, here's what's fascinating. The total is about 43,000. 42,360 people came back. And remember, this is probably a generation back. These This list that Nehemiah has isn't current in his day. He took it from the list that they had when all the people came back or when the people came back. And it's interesting, only 42,000 came back. That's not very many. So they didn't, listen, when they were released from Babylon, not everybody jumped on the bandwagon and came back. Some decided to stay in Babylon. So you have 42,000 that came back. And then in verses 70 through 72, they were, uh, he listed what was given to do the work. So that kind of catches us up for all of that. Now, now we're gonna get into what I find the interesting part. So again, genealogy, yes, it's important. Yes, you can go through it. Yes, you can read through it. Hey, maybe tonight with, with your family, you can sit and try and pronounce these names and have fun doing that and, and looking at them. But then in verse 17, it says, so the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, and the Nethanim, and all Israel, and all Israel dwelt in their cities. And when the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Now all the people gathered together as one man in an open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men, of men and women, and all who could hear with under standing on the first day of the seventh month. Now here's, here's, what, here's what I find interesting. Number one, we find out Ezra was a scribe and a priest. He was both and he worked in both areas. And, and now here's what I love. This is one of the few times we see Ezra and Nehemiah kind of overlapping each other and coming together. They were contemporaries, and we've talked about it before. Ezra has one way of doing ministry. Nehemiah has another way of doing ministry. Doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. This is what I love about when we really get into reading our Bibles, we can get some understanding about God, his character, and the people he uses. Listen, he does not want us to be cookie-cutter Christians. He doesn't want to just stamp us out so we're all the same and we all do everything the same. Now, listen, I think there are things that are important that we do 
For instance, I think as a pastor teacher, you're obligated to teach the word of God and getting ahead of myself a little bit, we'll talk about that a little bit more. I think that's important. But everybody's gonna do it a little different. And by different, I don't mean you're gonna use different you know, sources and stuff, you're gonna use the word. But you have your personality, I have my personality. And I kinda always like to use for an example because we're close uh, in proximity and, and we're close friends. Robert Furl and I both teach the word of God. We don't teach it the same. Robert has his style, his personality, who he is, and I have my style and my personality and who I am. It's not like, hey, we have to be just like each other. Thank God. But that's important for us to realize. And when we see Ezra and Nehemiah both doing ministry, and one of them is kind of a little bit more, you know, gentle with people and kind with people. Remember, Ezra pulled his hair out. Nehemiah, we're going to see, pulls their hair out. So, hey, you got two different approaches, and it's all okay. So here's Ezra. He shows up, and then here's what I love, and it cracks me up. It says he brought the law of Moses. Now, as I study the word, I, I, again, I'm a simple guy. I read he brings the law of Moses. To me, I think that's pretty simple to what that means. The law of Moses would be the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes we call it the Pentateuch. Sometimes it's called the law. But it's the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. You have that. And I don't think, listen, I don't think you gotta be like a, 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 you know, a major, major Bible scholar to understand that. But... The Bible scholars, here's what they say. What do you think Ezra really had? Do you think he just had the first five books? Maybe he just had Leviticus. Maybe he just had Deuteronomy. And they go on and on for pages and pages and pages, and here's what I think. Why don't we just be simple people? And why don't we simply believe what we read? And all through Scripture, listen, all through Scripture, the first five books are called the Law of Moses. Jesus, when he quotes them, he quotes from the first five books. He always says the Law of Moses. So it's not real hard for me. That's not real complicated. Again, some of you go, oh, Pat, you're so simple. I know. I know I'm simple. I'm not a brainiac, man. I'm not a scholar. I'm not that guy. I understand. But I think that's how we're supposed to understand the word. And then here's what I love. Listen, he brought this. Now let's get a picture of this. He brought this, and the people gathered in this square. By the way, this is the seventh month. Oh, for homework, you got to read Leviticus chapter 23. It tells them what they're supposed to do in the seventh month. It's kind of interesting. The seventh month was an important time of feast. You had the feast of trumpets on the first day. On the tenth day, you had the day of atonement. On the fifteenth day, you had the, the feast of tabernacles. So there's a lot going on. And they're starting on the first day, and they gather together. But I want us to notice, what did they gather around? The Word of God. Wasn't around some mandate that... that that uh, Nehemiah's ready to give. It wasn't some manifesto. It wasn't, you know, what were their felt needs. They came together and they got the word of God. And then it says, listen, and then it says they came and then in verse two, then they read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning till midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Wow. Six hour service. 
Can you imagine doing church for six hours? Some of you would have a coronary. Some of you have a hard time for, you know, our services, and I feel like ours are kind of brief. I feel like our services are kind of short. I think, I think we could do longer, and, and uh, that's why it's good when we're doing this. Hey, I don't have to worry about kids ministry and getting kids, and I understand. Listen, I understand. Culturally, we live different. But the fascinating thing to me here is they're gathered together. They're gathered in the open square. A lot of people make a, a huge point that they were in front of the water gate, and the water, the word of God is like water to our souls and washing and cleansing us. Maybe, I, again, I'm not that guy. I don't, like to, I don't like to like read something in that's not there. Maybe that's supposed to be there for those who like that. But the thing that fascinates me, they were there from morning till midnight. And listen who's there. Men, women, and those who could understand. And they're there to receive the word of God. We first and foremost, and we're going to see this in a minute, first and foremost, we got to understand the word of God. For anything else to happen in our life, you have to have that. I, I, I got this quote from, from Wearsby. God's word must be understood before it can enter the heart and release its life-giving or life-changing power. So we need to read, we need to understand, we need to be intelligent enough to receive it. And then here's what's fascinating in this chapter. Understanding is used over six times. Just in this, just in this short chapters, 18 verses. And he uses it. That tells me, listen, that tells me we gotta be people. And I think way too many people in the church, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the church. I think way too many people in the church are biblically illiterate. They're not reading their Bible. They're not trying to understand their Bible. Some people at Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista, the only time you ever open your Bible is when you're sitting here and people are watching you and you go, well, I don't want to Bible now. I don't look spiritual. And you're biblically illiterate. Shouldn't be. You want to have a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ? You got to be in his word. He's given it to us to encourage us and strengthen us and feed us. So listen, man, wouldn't it be, how many of you would like to do a six-hour service? Yeah, we got one in the back. Andy? Andy would do it if, Andy would do it if I made him coffee. He would do it if I made him this, this Mount Carmel, and he could do it. But listen, man, how many of us think about, I, I've, I've told you guys this story before. I had a friend who went to a Navajo revival up on the Navajo uh, reservation. And he went, and they would do church like they would start like on Friday night at six, and they wouldn't end church till Sunday around two o'clock. And they would just go nonstop. And so he's there trying to endure, right? And he's like, you know, Sunday about, or I'm sorry, Saturday about noon, he's going, no, I can't stay away. He'd stayed up all night, he's trying to do it, and he just can't do it, man, he's having a tough time. And finally he asked somebody next to him, how do you guys do this? And the guy said, you didn't notice? He goes, notice what? And he goes, we come and go. We sit here for a while and then we'll go get a nap and get something to eat and come back. And he goes, well, you know, all you Navajos look the same and have the same last name. So I didn't really, and, and hey, that, that, you know, and so I don't think, personally, I don't think a six-hour church service would be really productive because we're a different culture. We're at a different time. 
But here's what I love. These guys were starving for the word. They wanted the word. They were starving for it. And they would do anything. You know, you know, guys, I think you can relate. Guys, right? You come home in the evening, and what's the first word that's out of our mouth? What's for dinner? I'm starving. Now, if you've ever been really hungry, I don't think it, most of us have ever really starved, but really, really hungry. Man, you devour stuff. And I'm a fast eater. My wife gets on me all the time. Why do you just like suck that down like, 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 you're, like you're eating your last meal? And I said, well, it's a family thing. But anyway, when was the last time you wanted to devour the word of God? You're just, you're just starving for it, hurting. That's what I look with these people. So here they are, man. He opens it up. They give attentive. They're attentive to the book of the law. Hey, think about that, man. They're paying attention. They want to hear it. So Ezra, the scribe, stood on a platform of wood, which they had made. This is verse four, which they had made for this purpose. So they made him like, right, like a little stage to sit on. I'm sure he had a pulpit there, and he's raised up so everybody can see him. I don't know if all 43,000 people are there but the majority of them they're out there in the square he's got his wooden platform and then it says and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah Shema Anaya, Urijah Hilkiah and Maaseah see I got him so there's there's those guys and then on his left hand was Padeah Mishael Milkijah uh, uh, Hashem uh, Hashbadana, Hashbadana, that's a, that's a Hashbadana, and then you have Zechariah and Meshulam. So you have 13 people, listen, some of them is left, some of them, so they have this entourage, right? And to me, that's kind of weird. I personally, if, when I'm teaching, I wouldn't want to have an entourage. You got guys here and guys here, and you're all standing there, but hey, it was for the purpose of ministry. We're going to find out in a minute. And then it says, verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Woo! Hey, when he just opened up the word, everybody's excited and they're not, listen, they're not worshiping their Bibles. They're worshiping the one who gave them the word and they're caught up in this idea of worship. Hey, there wasn't even a worship team. There was no electric guitars, no drums, none of that going on. They were caught up in the whole idea of the glory of God. And man, they're like raising up their hands. This is, this like kills me. As he's opening up the Bible, like, like I can imagine coming up here and I say, open up your Bibles. Hallelujah, yes. And you guys don't do that. Not even the guys I have in here. They're looking at me like, but man, they're worshiping. Listen, they are excited that the word of God is being opened. I think for this reason, they're expecting to receive something from God. They're coming to that courtyard expecting for God to speak to them they're shouting amen they're putting hey I love it man they're lifting up their hands they're bowing down hey this is a full-on time of worship with no music no instruments nothing being done except Ezra just like does this well he probably unrolled the scroll but he opens it up and they're like they're caught up in that and then we get a little bit more information. Hey, there's some other guys involved here. And it says, listen, also, Jeshua, Benai, uh, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, 
uh, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Maaseah, Maaseah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazbad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites helped the people understand the law, and the people stood in their place. There was teaching going on. Listen, man, these guys, these 13 here, well, some of them on his right, some on his left, and then 13 more, 26, are helping him to give understanding. They're going to the people. They're explaining what's being, what's being done. Sort of like ministry here. Hey, we have different people on staff doing different things, making sure that we can grow in the Lord. And then verse eight is kind of like, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, if I was ever gonna get a tattoo, it would probably be Nehemiah 8.8. 8. Because I love, listen, I love, I love what he says. Listen, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave sense and helped them to understand the reading. That's what I feel like my ministry is all about. I want to read distinctly. Now, I wish I could say I read very distinctly when I pronounce the names, but I don't. But I want to read distinctly. In other words, here's the way I interpret that. I want to make sure I'm reading this. I'm not up here reading other things. I'm not reading articles. I'm not giving you an interpretation of something. I'm, I'm reading this. And then, don't you love? Listen what he says. And they gave sense. My whole ministry is about giving sense to this making it applicable in our lives, making it real for us. So when we go out, I think the greatest compliment I ever get is when people tell me this. They go, man, you make the Bible so simple. And I think, yes, because I'm simple. And I don't think it's that hard to understand, but I want to give sense to it. And then they gave sense and they helped them to understand that's what it's all about. Listen, I, I, listen to these quotes. This is, this is out of uh, David Guzik's commentary, but I believe this with all my heart. If you leave, he's talking about leaving after service. If you leave knowing five helpful hints to a better life, but do not have a greater understanding of God's word, I have failed. If you leave having been amused by humor, entertained by anecdotes, or captivated by dramatic stories, but do not have a greater understanding of God's word, I have failed. If you leave motivated to action or praying, or praying a prayer, but it is not based on a greater understanding of God's word, I have failed. If you leave admiring me, but do not have a greater understanding of God's word, I have failed and I will be accountable before my God for my failure. I believe that with all of my heart. We come together to get an understanding of God's word so that it will change our lives. The better we understand his word, the more it's gonna impact our lives. And again, we can do all those other things and it's, not, it's, a, it's, a, it's just like a Band-Aid this word of God is what changes us. And I know some people say, man, you make it so, you sound so simple. I believe it's that simple. You want to have a good marriage? Believe God's word. Get centered on Christ and you'll have a good marriage. You want to be a good dad? Believe God's word and get centered on God and you'll, have, you'll be a good dad. You want to be, and just fill in the blank. I am a firm believer when you focus on God's word, 
It will change your life. This weekend, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5. I kind of fibbed last weekend. I said this weekend we're going to finish James, but we're not. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians chapter 5 tells us, man, it's the word of God that changes us. It bears fruit in our lives. So here's what he's saying, man. Again, I love verse 8. If I, I would like to spend the whole time on verse 8, but we've got to move on. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. Now, check this out. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Listen, the law convicts us, right? But we shouldn't stay convicted. We should probably weep over our sins for about I think 10 minutes, and then we should have the joy of the Lord, of his salvation and his grace in our lives. And, and that's what they're saying. They're saying, listen, it's time to stop. And then he said, then he said to them in, in verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, listen to this, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions of those, uh, send portions to those for whom, uh, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord, now, not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Woo, yes. Man, listen, when we find the Lord and we begin to find our place with the Lord, all of a sudden there is joy, and I think the joy comes from this simple thing obedience. If I read the word of God and begin to do the word of God, all of a sudden I have joy and I have joy unspeakable. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, <laughs> I'm all happy. I'm talking about joy and joy brings strength. And I love this, man. Here's what he says. You guys celebrate. Do you hear what he's saying? Now, yeah, it's a feast of trumpets and he's going celebrate. Let's celebrate the day of the Lord. Let's celebrate what God has done. Let's eat the fat. I kind of like that. Let's feast a little bit. Tonight we're gonna come to his table. I often, when we do communion, and maybe this was a perfect time to do it, I often wanna like get a loaf of bread, like, like not a loaf, but, but you know, the old, the old bread, just like baked like a round. My, my grandma, my Serbian grandma used to make this bread. It was round and she cooked it on, on, on top of her little uh, heating stove. She would raise it there and then bake it and it was always so good. And I always want to get one of those and just, let's all just break off a chunk and let's just eat. Let's don't, now, I'm going to give away something. I don't like these wafers. <laughs> They're just like, they have no taste. It's like sticking a piece of styrofoam in your mouth, right? I know what we're doing, and I'm sorry, man. So I'm in deep trouble now, so sorry about that. But, but man, I just like, wouldn't it be great just rock? And here's what he's saying, man. Rejoice, rejoice. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. And then don't you love it? He says, hey, and make sure those who couldn't do anything, make sure they get some. Now listen, saints, shouldn't that be what ministry's about? Eat the fat of the ministry. Listen, come in here and gather together. Gather together around your screen. Eat the fat. But you know what? Take some out to those who don't have any, who haven't prepared anything. In other words, let's reach the world. 
I believe we have an opportunity right now to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this chaos going on, people are confused, people are scared. Our government has scared the wits out of a lot of people and people are fearful. We need to bring them hope. We need to bring them Jesus Christ. We have that opportunity. So he tells us, uh, again, he says, man, the joy of the Lord is your strength, verse 11. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy and do not be grieved. Listen, man, he's having to pound it in them. Stop grieving, be happy. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that we were declared to them. Now, on the second day, verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests, the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. First day they studied the Bible, second day they studied the Bible, and when they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem saying, go out to the mountains, bring in olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Now again, you can look at, you can look at Leviticus chapter 23. Now here's the thing, it's interesting. They kind of jump over the Day of Atonement. I kind of think, listen, I kind of think they've already done the Day of Atonement when they kind of gathered and they kind of finished things. So they sort of jump over that and we don't have a complete explanation, but they jump over that. But now they get into the, 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 the uh, a Feast of Tabernacles. But here's what I want us to understand. They just finished building the wall. He just told us they haven't even built their houses yet. They're not finished. I think the rubble's there. They haven't, re, you know, it's like, have you ever remodeled a house? You ever lived in a house while you remodeled a house? Oh, joys, the joys of joys. Yeah, a couple people are shaking their heads. It's like, it stinks. And that's kind of what they're going through, right? So, so hey, so those of us who have done that, we know, we know what that's like. And yet, they get in the word of God, and what does it say? Go get branches. Go do this and go build some booths. How many of us would say to God, dude, I'm trying to build my house. I don't have time to do that. I don't have, you know, why are you putting that on me? And I can see him, Ezra, why are you reading that part of scripture? I don't want to do that part. I like the other part. I like the part. I want to finish my house. I, what do I want to go gather branches out in the wilderness for when I don't even have my house done? Well, because that's what the Word of God says. Well, I don't really like the Word of God right now. I don't like what it's saying. I don't like what it's telling me to do. I'm gonna do my own thing. Fine, go do your own thing. But you're not gonna have the joy of the Lord. You're not gonna have peace. So, man, this blows my mind, right? So, think about, think about our own attitudes. Hey, they were people just like us. These guys weren't all walking around like this. Oh, yes. They're like, just like us. I can hear some of them. Seriously? Seriously? Ezra, what have you been smoking? In the middle of all of this, we just finished your stinking wall. Our houses aren't done. Now you want us to go out? No, no, I don't think that's a good idea. So listen, they tell him to do that. Verse 16, then the people went out and they brought them and they made themselves booths. Listen, then the people go, I think, I think there had to be a little bit of grumbling, but the majority are going, 
if that's what God wants. When was the last time you read something in his word and you just did it? You didn't argue about it. You didn't fuss about it. You didn't have dialogue. You didn't ask your wife or your, your husband, do you really think we should do that? That's crazy. When was the last time you read it and you did it? You read it and you did it. That, that to me is so encouraging, you know, and you might say, well, they had a simpler life then. Oh, sure they did, yeah. Nothing to it. They only had people trying to kill them. They had people trying to come in and annihilate them and wipe them out as Israel does to this day. They had their enemies all around them. They just finished building a wall to protect themselves and now, hey, go get some branches and stuff. Okay, okay, God, we're gonna do that. That should be our hearts, right? Okay, Lord, we're gonna do that. If you guys need to go get your kids, you can. <laughs> we're going a little over, so. Uh, if you need to put their PJs on, whatever. But listen, it says, then the people went out, verse 16, and, and they brought them and they made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or in the courts of the house of God or in the open square of the water gate or in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. Here, do you get the idea? Hey, if their houses weren't finished enough, they took and they built these booths in the middle of the courtyards. Let's just do this. Let's, let's be determined to do what God tells us us to do. Hey, we got this whole thing, stay at home order, but are we doing what God has told us to do? Has that hindered us from sharing the gospel? It shouldn't. We still have ways. We still have means. We still have the ability to do that. And hey, some of us are upset. We don't like what's being told. We don't like what's going on. So then we go out in the community and we have this scowl on our face and we're not happy. No one can see the scowl because you got a mask on and you're like a mask man. But hey, they can see it in your eyes and you're not happy and you're not sharing the gospel. Why are you not sharing the gospel? Because I'm mad. That's why stinking government telling me what to do. Get glad again. Just do what Jesus is telling you to do, saints. Look at these people. They went and they did it. They, some of them didn't have houses. They still built their booths. Then verse 17, the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and they sat under the booths for since the day of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so, and there was very great gladness. Now listen, I think, I think what he's saying is they had not done so to that degree. I think they celebrated the Feast of Booths, but not to that degree where everybody's involved and they're going out in the courtyard and doing it. You gotta love it, man. What a time of revival. And then verse 18, also day by day from the first day till the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Wow. What a blessing. I, I read this. I, I love chapter eight. To me, chapter eight is kind of a, we kind of like, oh man, we're on the other side. And now we have the opportunity to believe God. Saints, are you believing God? We're getting ready to, to come to the Lord's table. And, and my question to you, man, as you're coming to the Lord's table, and I don't care what you're using to come to the Lord's table, are you coming to the Lord's table with a heart that is hallelujah? 
that is full of joy, full of, full of the, the, the wonderment of our God and all that he's done for us. Listen, this isn't just a ritual we go through that we drink a little bit from a cup and eat some bread. This is, this is recognizing what our God has done for us and being grateful and expressing our gratitude through this little act of worship that he told us to do. And we're able to do that. So saints, man, as we come tonight, my prayer is you don't have to necessarily do it out loud. You can do a little hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you've done. And we're gonna celebrate Although we're scattered out, we're going to celebrate. So, hey, let's pray, and then we'll read from uh, 1 Corinthians. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge in your word. I thank you for God just uh, uh, bringing to our attention the importance of your word and, and Lord, exactly what that uh, means to each one of us. And I thank you that we have an opportunity tonight to celebrate you, to come to this table, Lord, with our hearts full of joy and our hearts full of wonderment at our God. And we, Lord, we come, why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And worshiping you is what we do. So Lord, bless this time. Even though we're not together, bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna read as I always do from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, Paul writes, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the, night of, in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now I'm gonna cut it off there tonight because we're, we're not all here and, and, and you're in your home and you can make a decision in your home whether you wanna partake of this or, or not. If you're not a believer and you're watching online for some reason you, you tuned in and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, our heart is that you would do that right now. Right now you would call on his name and ask him to forgive you and thank him for dying for you and then grab some, grab some bread, some place, a cracker, a, as, as Pastor Rob said, a Cocoa Puff, a Twinkie, I don't care, grab something, grab some kind of liquid and get ready and enjoy communion, fellowship with God. That's what this is all about. So we want to encourage you to do that. I would tell you, make sure that you, you know, we have two cups, make sure you separate those. I don't know if you have two cups or not. Some people have sent me pictures of what you're doing. Yours looks much better than ours. Wish I was at your house, but Hey, as we get ready to do this again, we're remembering what he's done for us. We're not worshiping a wafer and a cup of juice. We're worshiping our God and we're worshiping Jesus Christ. So he wrote to us and here's what he said. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as Jesus has commanded us, we're coming to this table again, not as a ritual, not as a religious act. 
We're coming tonight to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ left heaven. He left glory. He's God. And he left all of that and he came here, invaded our world, disrupted our lives so he could save us. And he says, now eat of this. Listen, as you eat of this and whatever you're eating, as you eat of it, it's not important what you're eating, it's important what you do while you're eating it. As you eat this, here's what he says, man. He says, remember me and what I did for you. This is an act of worship. I always like to, and when I pray, I'll say it. I always like to express the fact that we're telling Jesus, thank you for what you did. Sometimes words aren't enough. And I believe that's why he has us come to his table. This is a way for us to express to him our gratitude. Let's pray. Jesus, again, we're not ritualistic people. We're not religious people. We're people who are in love with you. And God, where words are failing us, we come and we eat of this bread as an act of worship, expressing to you the gratitude, the joy, the peace that we have because of you. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven and coming and allowing and taking a body and allowing that body to be broken and beaten for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I don't think we can express it enough that Jesus didn't sign the covenant in blood. He made the covenant in blood. His blood is our guarantee of going to heaven. You and I, if you're a believer, you're going to heaven for one reason. The fact that Jesus Christ died for you. He shed his blood and that blood guarantees your relationship with God. It's not what you do, it's what he did. And we come to this table recognizing that, knowing that he left heaven, came to the earth, lived a perfect life, and then was condemned by, by people with an illegal trial and all of that. And he took all of that, and then he took all of the sin of the world, every sin I've ever committed and will commit, every sin you've ever committed and will commit, he took it upon him. And he paid the price we owed, separation from God. And that blood as it's poured out, he says, hey, this cup is the new covenant. Again, not so much the cup, but the blood that it represents. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for shedding your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us life. And thank you for giving us the promise of heaven tonight. And we want to be like those people in Nehemiah who when they're hearing the word of God, they come away and they're full of joy and rejoicing and they want to feast and they want to celebrate. And tonight as we drink from this cup, yes, we're expressing gratitude to something that happened that was a gross miscarriage adjustment of justice. It was a horrible thing to watch. 
But in the eyes of a believer, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. And we celebrate tonight the fact that you, Jesus, took our sin and you redeemed us and you promised us heaven by your blood in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to celebrate at this table. I thank you for the celebration going on around this community, maybe around the nation, around the world, wherever anybody is with us tonight celebrating communion. Thank you that we can do that and you tell us that we need to look at your life, your death, your burial and your resurrection. But then beyond that, we're to cry out in our hearts, Maranatha, come quickly because we know you're gonna return for us. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.